0: Welcome to another inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will empower and inspire you. There is not another book in the Bible that has ruined more New Year's resolutions than the book of Leviticus. Anybody out there, you know, started January 1 and decided I'm going to read the Bible cover to cover, got to Leviticus, and then come massively unhinged? There's five honest people and about a thousand liars. Um, but, you know, this is also just a meaty book. We've got entrails. We've got blood sacrifices. We've got oozing sores. We've got, we've got dense stuff in the book of Leviticus. Uh, yet Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 tells us uh, that jo- God commanded Joshua, Do not let this book of the Lord depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night so that you may be prosperous and successful wherever you go. So if God said, don't let this book of the Lord, that includes Leviticus, depart from your mouth because it is going to cause you to be prosperous and successful, then friends, you and I better understand what God's teaching from this book. Uh, I read this book earlier this year around the time of rice Conference and over the weeks afterwards, and God just did the most amazing number on my life. And I want to share with you out of this book because we learn so much in this passage, in these, this book, and in these first books of the Bible about our God, themes are established that are carried throughout the entire Bible. Really, if you don't understand uh, the essence or the spirit of what God is trying to teach in these books, then there is so much of the Bible that will never be clear to us. And so it's very important that we do get an understanding of what God is teaching through the book of Leviticus. It establishes so much of God's word. It unpacks a lot of the Bible for us. And I believe over this series of messages that God's gonna do something amazing. I mean, obviously it's important. I want everybody to consider maybe even reading this book over this next few weeks, you know. Uh, But while you're reading it, just remember there is instructions about sacrifices, but Jesus is now our sacrifice. We're going to hear about food in this series. When you read this book, you read a lot about what you should eat, what you shouldn't eat. And we're going to talk about that in two weeks' time. But remember, too, that in the New Testament, all food has been declared clean. Every bacon lover said a hearty. Amen. 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 So, you know, this is an amazing passage. So what do we learn in the book of Leviticus? Well, the first thing that the book of Leviticus highlights for us it is that it is a call to being a holy people. If there is a, an overwhelming theme in Leviticus, it's that God wants you and I to live a holy life, a separate people not living like every other people on earth. And the spirit of that remains the same. God has called you and I not to live just like everybody else that's out there. We live in the, you know, under grace, but God doesn't want you and I just to live with a license that allows us to live just like everybody else lives. God wants you and I to live a holy and a separate life to Him for His glory. Um, the the book of Leviticus is also a book where we are just stirred so much uh, towards you know just living a life that is not just holy but a life that is clean. It's a book that talks a lot about cleanliness, and you know we talk a lot about forgiveness in our in our Christian faith. But it's important to remember that when Jesus called people healed, he also declared over them that they were clean. What an amazing thing! You know he he didn't just allow people to to touch him, or he didn't just touch them. He said, you are clean. And that, that cleanliness counts a lot. And it's important to note in the book of Leviticus that the laws and the spirit of those laws that are in these first five books of the Bible are now put on our hearts. In the New Testament, these laws are on our hearts. So I believe God's going to do something amazing in the next few weeks. I'm excited about it. And why don't we pray together as we open this passage and believe for God to do something great. Who's ready for a great morning? The All Blacks have won, but the Word of God is more important. I'm waiting for a really big Amen. Amen, amen. All right, Father, we pray that as we open your word, you would open our hearts. Speak to us, illuminate your truth. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. And once more, can I get a hearty? Amen. 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 Leviticus chapter 2, and we're going to start reading in verse 4. If your offering is a grain offering baked in an oven, it must be made with choice flour, but without any yeast. It may be presented in the form of thin cakes mixed with olive oil or wafers spread with olive oil. If your grain offering is cooked on a griddle, it must be made of choice flour mixed with olive oil, but without any yeast. Without any yeast. Now jump over and we're going to turn to verse 11. It says in verse 11 of Leviticus 2, Do not use yeast in preparing any of the grain offerings you present to the Lord because no yeast or honey may be burned as a special offering presented to the Lord. You may add yeast and honey to an offering of the first crops of your harvest, but these must never be offered on the altar as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Three times in this passage of Scripture, we've got this command, do not use yeast. When you are preparing your offerings, they must be made without any yeast. No yeast. God's literally saying, you know, look, there's going to be other moments when you're going to cook with yeast and you're going to prepare something, and you're going to bring it to the temple, and you're going to save my first fruits. I'm bringing this to God and to his house, and the priests are going to eat that. But when you're bringing to me an offering that is going to be put upon the altar, when it's going to be offered as worship, no offering that is presented as worship can have any yeast in it. In fact, it's amazing when you go back to the book of Exodus, chapter 12 and verse 15, it's going to come up on your screen. But the Israelites were commanded by God that one week of every year, they were to rid all their homes of any scrap or trace of yeast. Not one morsel of yeast was allowed to stay in their home for one week out of every 52 They were to go through every cupboard. In fact, when you read the passage, the Bible doesn't just say, go to the pantry and take out your yeast. It says, search your home. Look in every nook and cranny. Get every scrap of yeast. It's like kind of hoover your home, vacuum your home. Look for anything that's got yeast in it. And for one week of your life, all yeast has got to be removed. Now, if that's what God's saying, then we better understand why is this yeast thing so important to God? Well, what we know about yeast in cooking is that yeast puffs something up. It makes something that would be flat, and it causes it to rise. It's the difference between, you know, the wafer crackers... And a piece of bread. I mean, there's more to it. I'm not a cooker, but you know, there's, there's more to it than that. But the fundamental difference between the bread that's all fluffy and the bread that is flat is yeast. Yeast puffs up. And in the Bible, yeast is always a picture for us of pride and of hypocrisy. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Your boasting is not good. Yeast Do you not know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, you're boasting, that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. So we've got boasting and pride that are pictures of yeast. And then we've got sincerity and truth, which is a picture to us of a life without yeast. So the Bible is literally saying, whenever you come to worship, what must be absent from your life, if you're going to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords with sincerity and truth, what must be gone from your life is pride. Once a year, you need to think about your life and get all of your pride out. I I don't know about you, but I'm glad that the Bible doesn't say every morning you should search your heart for pride. That would be a pretty depressing life. I've met some Christians that spend far too much time in their lives searching their hearts for pride. It's like, dude, there is nothing left. Stop it and get on with your life. You'll, you'll never be holy enough. You'll never be, you know, humble enough. It's a, it's a pursuit with no end. God does not want you to spend all of your life aiming for sincerity. You will be a broken, awful person. And probably horrible to be around. But the Bible is saying that once a year, you should consider your heart. One season of your life per annum, you should be thinking, we should be thinking, where is there pride in me? And the Bible is saying that when we come to worship, what must be gone from our lives is any form, any trace of pride. If you're going to be on a platform like this one, no pride on this stage. I mean, we've had seasons in a rise where, you know, literally there'll be moments, and maybe it's me, maybe it's somebody in the worship team, but there'll be a moment when you just feel like heaven is absent from the environment, like the, the, the kiss of heaven is gone. We've had one several times. And, you know, those who are really part of the core of our worship team would know moments when I've just been like, hey, guys, you know, we're writing songs. Our, our album went number two on the secular charts. But it just feels at the moment like something's lifted. I feel like we need to take that annual moment with us as a ministry team. And let's just say we're not writing songs for the glory of Arise. I'm not preaching sermons for the glory of John. We're not building reputation for the glory of man. If we're going to do anything on a platform like this one, God's kind of admitting, as long as you're alive, you're going to have a little bit of pride, right? But when you offer something on the altar, no pride. There has to be a holy consecration that we're aiming for in our lives. Like, you know, I might, be, I might be a little bit, you know, mixed in my motives always in life. Don't ever aim to have holy, pure motives because you'll never arrive. You never will. I'm, somebody out there is, is resisting me on this. Well, I want you to know you're just the most deceived person here in this message. You'll never be holy. I'm only, I only ever do things for the Lord. Eh, liar. If, if you're doing anything, you're doing it with mixed motives. But the Bible is saying that when it comes to our worship, when it comes to what we're presenting to God, our goal has got to be that we do nothing for Him with pride in our hearts. See, uh... This boasting is yeast. It's that puffed up state that we get in life. In fact, in in Luke chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. So pride is hypocritical. It's it's expecting something of another that you don't live yourself. It's putting a demand on somebody else that isn't real in you. Uh, In fact, you know, if you want to put it in another way, you could say pride puffs up, but love builds up. In, 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 uh, in First Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, it says, knowledge puffs up, but loves builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know, but the man who loves God is known by God. In other words, if you think you're awesome, you're not. But if you know God, you are awesome because God knows you. But then it's saying that this knowledge, this pride, this thinking, man, I, you know, I'm too Christian for my church, that is going to puff you up. But if you have love, it's going to build up. Because knowledge or pride is about me and love is always about others. So what God is looking for in our lives is for our pride to diminish and for our love to increase. There is not one commandment in the Bible to love less, but there is a thousand commandments in the Bible saying, think about yourself a whole lot less. Forget about you and live a life that is centered around God and others. Pride is the anti-God state of mind. That's what pride is. It takes God and it puts them over to one side and it takes self And it puts self at the center. That is what the devil was thrown out of heaven for. He said, I don't want to just worship the King of Kings. I want to be the object of the worship. I want to be at the center of the worship. And what pride does is it puts me at the center of the story and it puts God and others in the peripheries. If you want to live the life God's got for you, then put him at the center, others at the center, and put yourself just over at the side. The, you know, if God was wanting anything from you and I, he is wanting us to worship without yeast to stop bringing our pride as part of our worship. Humility is the antidote for pride. It's about saying, man, you know what? In my life, I just want to see others and see the world as God wants me to see it. I'm called by Him. I have a role to play. But I am just a part of God's massive, master plan. Humility is the virtue through which we are enabled to see ourselves as God sees us and others as God sees them. That Humility allows us to have an open heart. It sees sees the world. We see ourselves. We see our part, but we also see the hand of God and what He is doing through the lives of others. The first thing that we need to know about pride is that pride is a barrier to all growth. If you want to grow in life, you'll never grow when pride is in your heart. Is this not true? I mean, when I was a kid about the age of 11, I remember a specific conversation in a specific uh, room in our family home that centered around the phrase, I know. Does anybody have a strong-willed twinster? In living in their home. You know, somewhere between the age of nine and 14. Can you just, a strong-willed one. There are, there are a lot of hands. And, um, you know, when, when, I was, when I was in that twinster kind of bracket in life, I was just so incredibly self-assured. I mean, I was ridiculously insecure, but also ridiculously self-assured all in one package. Does anyone know what I mean? And everything my parents ever said to me, my answer was always, I know. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever had that? You know, it's like, and I remember one time I was at home and uh, my dad said something to me. The, the house, there's six Camerons and we've always had others living in the house. So the room was full of people. I walk in, dad is there, everybody's been in conversation and dad says to me, hey, son, you know, blah, 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 tells me something. And I said, I know. And then there was this awkward silence in the room because everybody else in the room knew that what I was saying I knew. There was no way that I knew it. (laughs) And then there was like this crazy moment where dad just goes, do you know that everything I tell you, you answer by saying, I know? And my answer to that was, (laughs) I know. I mean, it was the two most ridiculous words I've possibly ever said in my life. But... You know, the thing about it is that as long as I was full of saying, I know, I wasn't growing. It takes a willingness to admit that there is a lot you don't know before you grow. It is humility that leads to all growth. And the moment pride gets into me, pride, pride, pride that makes me walk into a room and think, I know more than the people in this room. Pride That makes me walk into any environment and say, I wish these people would listen to what I've got to say. Pride is that state that says, I I feel like I'm a better person than others. And that moment you are blinded or we stop the, the growth of our lives because there will be no growth when pride is in our hearts. Is this not true? The second impact of pride is that it takes our focus off God. I mean, when pride is in your life, the second impact that you clearly see is that it takes your focus off God. You're thinking about you when you've got pride. I mean, it's just, it's just a terrible state of being. Um, uh, have you noticed the, the massive trend that we have in life? Everybody now is into selfies, all right? Selfie has become the thing. Um, in fact, you know, we're rewarded for being self-focused. I mean, I'm I'm a social media person, and numbers are important to me. I know numbers more than I know names. So I just have a gift for numbers. And I've noticed a trend. When I post a photo on Instagram, if I just post a photo of Joe, you know, or I I post a photo of Steve, we call him the silver fox around her eyes, our answer to George Clooney. You know, if I post a photo of one of my friends, you know, it might get, you know, let's say 60% on the like. But if I post a photo of me, then it's just going to get probably at least a 100 more likes. You can go through my Instagram feed and you'll find that whenever I'm in the photo, the photo gets more likes. But you know what? There's just this huge part of me that just says there's something very wrong with that because a self focused world is going to reward you for the same sin that somebody else has. But you know what? God is not looking for a group of people that are going to follow the ways of the world. Just because everybody else is going self-focused doesn't mean that we should too. Because the, the danger of pride is that it stops us from being focused on God. It is the anti-God state of mind. Um, uh, you know, In fact, just the other day, uh, you know, uh, I was in a situation and I was just becoming so aware that pride, pride is just that thing that you know, it just stops us from being aware of the world that is around us and it pulls us back To to me, it takes my focus off God, you know, have you you ever found yourself in the middle of worship and, you know, you're in the middle of worship and the song is one that's all about God, but you're actually thinking about the way you look in the middle of worship? Has anybody been in that kind of boat? Uh, I, I know I have, you know, like people look at you, you're in church and you're standing in the front and you're thinking, I better lift my hands. And then you're thinking, I think people think I look pretty good because I got my hands lifted. Or maybe I'm the only narcissist that's hearing this message today. <laughs> I hope there's a couple of honest people out there. Uh, maybe you rate your own voice, you know what I mean? So there's, have you ever met that guy, that girl, like that you, they're behind you in worship? There's a really quiet moment in the worship service. I don't. Join with them because I have a terrible voice. I had to. I had to opt in my 30s for either preaching or singing. It was an either or scenario. Nobody's ever commented on my singing and said it was any good. So I chose preaching. Um, but you know, there's that person that rates their own voice. So there's the like the quiet moment in worship, and they kind of take it as their lead break. Does anyone know what I mean? I mean, they look so awesome. I mean, they got their hands lifted. You know. They're like, yes, I am worshiping. But for some reason, they find, they find a new level of decibel the moment the worship band dropped. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? it? It's just that spirituality that's dressed up, but it's really just all about pride. You can't genuinely worship without forgetting about you and focusing on God. And that's what pride does, is it stops us. The third thing that pride will do is it will blind us to others. Um, uh, you know, when you've got pride in your life, it just blinds you to everybody else that's around you. And and I know when pride has crept into my life, when I'm in every conversation and I find a segue to tell a story about me. Have you ever been to that trap? Uh, you must think I'm pretty prideful. No, I'm just I'm just pretty honest. But, you know... Have you ever noticed that it's our gravitational pull? Like we're in a conversation and then we just, we just work out a way of dropping in a story. Oh, well, you know, I was. I mean, have you ever been in a conversation where it doesn't matter what you talk about, the person you're talking with just always has a way to tell you a story about them. And you're like, shut up. You're like, we don't care. We really, we really don't. But, you know, pride just brings everything back. To you, that's what it does. And it's ugly, isn't it? It's just, it's unattractive. Um, The fourth thing about pride that is just so true is that it attacks unity. You can't have unity when pride is present. Um, If there is one powerful thing that advances the cause of Christ, it's unity. And if there is one great destroyer to unity, it's pride. It's how Satan was able to pull a third of the angels out of heaven. That should be an amazing alarm bell for us because whenever anything raises its head to say, follow me in a different direction or pulls towards itself, don't think for a second it's going to be ugly and unattractive in your eyes. Because, I mean, these angels were worshiping God and the devil offered them something and a third of them went with it. But what pride does is it always attacks at unity. And the fifth thing that we need to know about pride before we get to how to deal with it, which we're going to finish with a sermon, the next thing that you need to know about pride is it's the beginning of deception. Pride is the beginning of deception. It's important that we know that all pride is self-deceiving. There's never been a minister that fell that didn't have pride in their heart. There's never been a Christian that ended up in some kind of strange error in their Christian faith that wasn't struggling with pride. In my journey as a pastor, every time I've ever found somebody just go off the rails, pride. It's the common uniter of all deception. It is deception. Pride is deception deceitful. And if we want to live our lives with sincerity and truth and track in the direction that God's got for us, then we have to remove our pride. Then you know when we're on the build up to a rise conference, I gather all the ministry team together and I say, "Guys, no yeast, no yeast. We have to have a moment in our lives where we front up to our own displicious nature, our own self-serving tendencies, our own ability to rate ourselves at ridiculous levels that lead to all this hypocrisy, all the self-serving nature, bring me my M&Ms but no red ones, you know what I mean? Hashtag does not play well with others. All of this stuff that just kind of creates our diva culture, you know, um, is just... This thing that we call pride, and it raises its ugly head. I mean, just this week, I, I flew back from South Africa. You know, I preached. I mean, you know, I'm there. I'm just, you know, I'm God's gift to the world. You know, there's. Thousands of people at this conference. It's a massive event. South Africans are ridiculously honoring of pastors, and I thank God for them. They're amazing people. I get home, and I, I, I get this schedule for my next week. I fly to Perth tomorrow to speak at a pastor's conference, and I wasn't happy about a couple of the details in it, and and I was also jet-lagged and emotionally vulnerable, and after a day, I'm still feeling weirded out by this thing, and I said, Jillian, what's going on? I mean, why am I obsessing about some small details to do? with this conference, and she looked at me, and she said, because you have a team of people who tell you you're awesome all the time, and who pat you on the back no matter what you do, and you're not all that big for the world. You know, it was just like, exactly what I needed to hear. Exactly what I needed to hear. And you know, there has to be a moment in our lives where we just start looking, hey, I'm being honest with you, but how about you be honest with you? And we all just start saying there's not a person out there who struggles with pride. I mean, half, you know, half the time when we find just rampant eating disorders and we find people that are all crazy and all this kind of stuff, it's just us being far too obsessed with us. Forget about you and start looking about others. So let's talk this morning about how we can rid ourselves of this pride thing. And I'm, I'm listening this morning, listening. Um, You know, uh, the first thing is know that you alone are not God's answer for the world's problems. You alone are not God's answer for the world's problems. This is just so important. Anybody who's ever thinking to themselves, my ministry is so important. My business is flipping unbelievable. My family is the center. My life is amazing. Anytime you find somebody like that, you can just go hashtag pride because... (laughs) This is, this is the problem with our world is that we are just increasingly thinking about us and we've become more I've got to open the doors for me rather than God open the doors for me uh, and we've just got to realize that we're all playing a part but the part you play is very small and a big plan that God is out working through the lives of thousands of people. And when we realize that God is in charge and others are involved, then we're taking the first major step towards getting this pride thing out of our lives. In fact, there is no better antidote than pride than what Jesus said summarizes all the law and the commandments. Love God and love other people as much as you love yourself, right? So I'm pretty cool, but so is Joe and so is Pat and so is Steve and so are you. And we're all equally important to God. Nobody's more important than another. We all just play a little role in a great big plan that God has got for the world. That's our first step towards it. I do nobody any favors by saying I'm useless and pathetic, but I do nobody any favors when I tell them that they are useless and pathetic in comparison to me. And when I'm awesome and you're awesome and God is the one who made us all awesome, we're taking the first great step towards being a life that is free from pride. The second thing that we need to do is intentionally focus on others. Intentionally focus on others. Intentionally focus on others. I make this just a discipline of my life, just a discipline of my life. You know, at this stage of my journey, so many environments I'm in, people are trying to get answers from me or line up things from me so that they can do what they want. And if I'm not careful, then I start to buy into this thing that somehow it really does come back to what I can share with others, what I can do for you. And you know what? I'm just trying to make my conversations, and I, I don't always nail this, but I'm trying to make my conversations intentional. I want to learn from others, I want to find out about you. I want to know what you've got an offer. If you want to rid your life of pride, then how about for the next seven days we do this. We decide that every conversation we're going to be in, we're going to tell no stories. Of, the only problem is if everybody does this together, we're not going to have any great conversations for the next week. But, but if we could just do this, we could just say my goal in every conversation is going to be to tell you nothing about me and I want to learn everything about you. I want to be intentionally focused, not just on, not on your problems, by the way, because nobody likes talking to that guy either who's trying to flush out every fault in your life. You know what I'm saying? Just be normal. Be real about it. Okay. If you're not their mentor, don't try to be, but, but just suck out something good about them. Suck out something you can learn from them. Let's just be intentionally focused on others. The third thing that we can do if we want to rid our lives of pride is we can pray for some other people. I saw this put up on Instagram recently or Twitter or something, but somebody asked the question, if all your prayers were answered, would your life be better or would the world be better? And I thought that's a pretty great question. That's a pretty great question. I wonder if we were to examine our prayer lives, whether we would find that we're just praying for us or if we're praying for others. And I reckon if we want to get our lives free from pride, how about again? This week, we decide as a church family, we're not going to pray for any of the needs that we have. I mean, maybe you've got to, uh, by the way, I, I would always pray for my children. There are others, right? But, uh, but maybe we just say, I'm not going to pray for John. I'm not going to pray for what I want. But I'm going to pray for what God wants to bless somebody else's life with. I'm just going to champion somebody else's prayer needs. I'm just going to see what I can do. How can I pray for you? And then actually pray rather than just telling people, hey, I'm praying for you. How about we do that? The next one that we can do is we can be generous. Generosity. Generosity doesn't happen when you're proud. But if you're humble, you can be generous. I reckon we just need to be in ridiculously generous people. God is looking for people that will be generous on every occasion so that our thanksgiving will result in praise towards God. Just be generous. Give away something you love. (laughs) Underwhelming amen to that one. I gave somebody a pair of shoes the other day and every time I see the shoes, I think, I love those shoes. (laughs) I want those shoes. I'm telling you the truth. I bought another pair that I don't like as much as the ones I gave them. But you know what? I really believe that that was a good thing for me. (laughs) Don't know why I shared that. (laughs) Open the door for somebody. Take a worse seat. Right. Right. I'll be honest with you. I felt bad preparing this sermon on the plane because I rocked up in the Coral Lounge this morning. And the front row was full. The first half was playing of the All Blacks game. The first row was full. The second row was full. The third row was full of chairs. The fourth row was full. And it's only like a 40-inch television. So I'm a million miles away. So I grabbed my seat. I picked it up. <laughs> I carried it to the front row and I just plonked it down. And then I prepared a sermon that says, open the door for somebody else. I don't think I should be preaching this message. I think that somebody else should be, someone humble. I can't find a... No, no. I've got two more. I've got two more and then I'm done. Next one, Do, do things for somebody else that no one will ever see or know. That's a good way to get rid of your pride. Did you know what I'm doing on this stage this morning? I get no reward for it in heaven. Why? Because you see it. And Jesus said, my father who rewards what is done in private. So when somebody else sees it, that is my reward i i've met business people who are in their definition generous but every piece of giving is tagged everybody knows what they did that's that's just pride dressed up as some kind of you know benevolent fashion but when nobody knows what you do i mean the the biggest contributors to our vision nobody would even know who they are they just do it they just They just get in behind the scenes. And you know what? I've always found that when you're wrapped up in you, you'll always live this big. But when your life is wrapped up with others, you'll live this big. You want to get rid of pride? Then do something that nobody's ever going to know you did it and do it for somebody else. And then the next thing, the last one, is the band comes and join me in every campus, is be thankful you want to get rid of pride from your life? Be thankful. Make a decision that you're going to just be happy and grateful for the good things God has already done for you and for the good things He's doing for somebody else. Thanksgiving. 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 The reason why this is so crucial is because you acknowledge the giver of every good gift that comes. Pride makes you feel entitled or deserving. People should, and I am, that's the way pride responds. But thanksgiving says, I can't believe you did that. Who am I? David said, that you would think of me this way. Thanksgiving, humility, God's blessing, and God's assurance. And I reckon that when a life is rid of pride, that God can truly bless it. I mean, you know, let's not all become this navel-gazing kind of, A horrible group of, you know, unconfident people. Confidence is what God wants from us. He just doesn't want arrogance. But, you know, as we launch into this series, Leviticus ain't playing games. And we're in chapter 2. We're going to move through the book as we go. But in chapter 2, the first thing we learn is no yeast, no pride. When you worship, you take yourself, you put it aside, and you offer up to God your offerings in sincerity and truth. Thanks for listening to this message from Pastor John Cameron. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church, check out arisechurch.com or find us on YouTube.